This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. If you've considered seeing a mental health provider, you've probably wondered what exactly happens during mental health therapy. You know, would you have to think of a way to start the conversation? What sort of questions you'll be asked? And how do you know if the mental health provider that you're seeing is the right one for you in the long term as well. So this is the second episode of our new mini-series called My Mind and Me, which we hope to help you kickstart your mental health journey. So on today's show, I'm joined by Rosie Khaled, licensed and registered counsellor to help us shed some light on what exactly happens during therapy. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rosie. No worries, Anne. My pleasure. Now, I can imagine that for a lot of people who, you know, uh, have decided to go and see a mental health provider for the first time, right? I mean, they've taken that first step of setting an appointment, you know, of finding a, a mental health provider and setting an appointment, but it can still be quite intimidating, I guess, to actually go and, and to actually see and talk to someone. Is that normal? Is that common that you've heard from your clients? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So, and I think especially for people who are more reserved, mm-hmm. um, I think they may find it a bit more anxiety provoking. Um, and bear in mind, we are in a, I mean, uh, we are living in a collectivistic culture. So people tend to, you know, they're used to sweeping things under the rug and it's not something that, you know, they don't really talk about their issues to people, mm-hmm. but more strangers, right? <laughs> so it's absolutely normal to feel that way. Mm. So then, you know, say when I go in for a session, do I have to already think beforehand, you know, how I want to start the conversation? What do I want to talk about? And, you know, what if I really just don't know where to start? Because sometimes, you know, mm. probably go in with already a lot on your mind, right? And you just don't know where to start. I guess, what what um, is there any sort of guidance for this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's okay if you don't know what to talk about, right? And I think, bear in mind that it's not like an interview session where you need Mm. to know what to say. So it's okay if you don't know what to say. It's okay if you don't know the answer to some of the questions that the therapist is asking. Um, Well, but maybe you can start with thinking about what would you like the therapist to know about you? You know, things that you like doing or maybe questions that you have about yourself um, or anything, basically anything that's bothering you, things that you're struggling with. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's that's okay. Yeah. So is it better, or I guess, is there any right way to go about this? Is it better for the person to sort of dive right into the, uh, the issue that they are, that's bothering them? Or is it better to start the conversation more generally? There's no right or wrong in this. It really depends on what you're comfortable with. It really depends on what you want to share at that point, right? So maybe I think I've got clients who probably prepared like a whole list of things that they're going to talk about with me prior to the session. And then in the session, like they're like, okay, this is not what I planned, you know? Um, And that's fine. That's absolutely fine because there's absolutely no right or wrong in this, right? And, um, And the thing about this, right? Uh, therapy is about relationship it's about Mm -hmm. the rapport that you have between the client and the therapist so this also means that trust needs to be built and that takes time right Uh, but in therapy usually because of the confidentiality terms and allows them allows clients to be somewhat more open because they feel more reassured like okay whatever I'll be sharing in my therapies stays in the room 
and that gives them some sense of uh, reassurance. Um, and if you're shy, you know, and this is something that you can tell a therapist, hey, I feel a bit uncomfortable. And usually as a therapist, we probably look at, you know, let's look at some of the things that can make you feel a bit more comfortable. Because um, there's no pressure to talk about things that you're not comfortable with. Yeah. Mm. So I want to talk a bit about that privacy issue, right? So everything that mm-hmm. I say that I share with my therapist that will remain between the two of us. That's right. Uh, but of course, there's a limitation to that confidentiality, mm-hmm. um, especially when safety is at risk, whether it's safety of the client or safety of the other person, another person. Um, so we're talking about maybe homicidal tendencies and stuff like that. Um, so there will be a breach of confidentiality. Um, also for clients who are younger, um, who are not yet of legal age and they have a legal guardian. Um, so there's also a limitation to that confidentiality, as well as maybe others who are differently abled or who are on the spectrum, um, that the therapists really need to work very closely with the parents, then certain information from that session will be shared. Um, and ultimately, it leads to, you know, what can benefit the client. Mm. And earlier, Rosie, you mentioned that, you know, it's there are things that you might not feel that that a client that someone like you know like say I go in and I don't feel comfortable talking about with so it's I can sort of be upfront with my therapist about it and say okay I'm still not comfortable to talk about this at this moment absolutely 100% and that's okay yeah Mm -hmm. Are there any sort of, I guess, you know, when, when you start a therapy session, are there any sort of common questions that um, you'll ask your client, you know, whether uh, regardless of what they might be seeing you for? Well, common questions are usually things like, how's your appetite? How's your sleep? You know, just to gauge, mm. especially in the evaluation form, in the forms that you're supposed to fill up. So in the first session, we'll review that form. We'll see where you're at physically, emotionally, what's bothering you. So a bit more, and especially in the first session, it's a bit more talking about um, just gathering as much information as possible, whether it's about what's bothering you right now. And for me, as a um, someone who practices a systemic therapy, uh, I'll go more into family dynamics. I'll go into relationships, past history, like what happened growing up? What was your childhood like? How are the other relationships in your life? Um, So those are things that I'll probably look at. Um, But I think it also depends on the therapist and which approach they use. They Mm -hmm. may be asking different sorts of questions in therapy. Mm. Mm. So if I could continue along that vein, right? We often hear that, you know, different therapists, different counsellors, clinical psychologists all use different um, methods or or different therapies, right? Um, I guess, could you give some examples of what are some of the more common ones that that are practiced here? Or or I guess, you know, what, for example, your your colleagues um, have used as well, just to give people a sense of how the different methods um, differ. Hmm. I think the more commonly used one here is CBT. 100%. 100%. <laughs> a lot of, especially clinical psychologists, um, they use a lot of CBT. And it's because they are trained in that. It's part of their, it's part of their course, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. They look into your thought processes and behaviorally, like what are you doing about that, right? Or how your behavior responds uh, as, as a result of those thoughts that you have. 
and then looking at uh, what can we do about that, right? So if you are afraid of spiders, then you'll probably look at gradual exposure to spiders and stuff like that. So that's a very simple, very mm-hmm. simple example. Um, and they work a lot with OCDs, um, anxiety. Yeah, um, so that's CBT. CBT is a very commonly uh, used approach here. Um, but there are also other things like EFT, emotional focus therapy, though may not be as common. Um, there are also other things like narrative therapy, which is something that I use a lot with my clients. Mm-hmm. I love narrative therapy. It's very fun to use. Very, um, I would think it's less intrusive. Because well, could you stories. Oh, could yeah. you have an idea of what narrative, uh, narrative therapy is like? Yeah, so if, say, for example, I've got a client with depression, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Narrative therapy would be, you know, basically externalizing that depression by, you know, saying to this client, okay, so what does depression make you do? Like, what does it look like? So we give an image to this depression, we externalize it. And often what this does is it makes the client feel like, okay, so maybe... I'm not so bad, right? So depression is making me feel this way, right? It's externalizing that depression and make them feel like they don't have to blame themselves all the time because they already feel that they're burdening a lot of people around them most of the time. They feel very low of themselves. So self-worth and all that, all that helplessness as well, you know? So when you externalize something and you're able to see it, give an image to it, name it, you are a bit more, I feel like clients feel a bit more empowered to uh, manage that, yeah, rather than it's something that's attached to identity. Mm. Now, um, mindfulness is something we've been hearing a lot, I guess, you know, especially with um, following the pandemic and all that. Is that sort of a form of therapy? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's um, what we would encourage our clients to do, but it's mm-hmm. not a, um, it is sort of like a technique that I know some, some therapies use as well in mm-hmm. their in their sessions yeah um so yes it can be quite powerful Mm. now some of um some people might opt to go for group therapy instead right how is that different or similar to individual therapy the thing about group therapies is um i think first thing that you need to to keep in mind is that whether these are a group of people that they know. So it's different than, okay, so for the group therapies that I do, they're usually family therapies or couple therapies, right? Mm. But other than that, other than couples and families, the kinds of group therapies that I would do, usually they have similar issues. They're trying to work on similar issues, whether it's grieving for the loss of a colleague, right? Or whether it's about addiction or whether it's about career. So there's always like a common goal, um, and the difference between the difference between a group and individual is that sometimes maybe people don't feel safe enough being in that group to open up to each other. Mm-hmm. So the depth of that discussion or the, the 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 depth of how much this person is opening up may vary depending on how safe they feel in the environment, right? Mm. Mm. So I guess who would you recommend? to opt for group therapy then you know I guess especially if if it's someone who's very new um into their mental health journey right how you know what what sort of considerations should they make before deciding oh should I go for individual therapy or group therapy Mm, I think it depends on what you're working on and what you want right Mm -hmm. 
So in group therapies, usually maybe it can be helpful in the sense that you find a support system there. You might feel that, okay, I'm not the only one going through this. And whatever that you're going through is somewhat being normalized because maybe another person with addiction feels the same way, you know, relapse happens and occurs every now and then when there's a trigger and when another person validates that understands how it's like for you. And that's what happens in group therapy. It can be very empowering because there are other people who experience the same thing as you, mm-hmm. right? So there's a sole sense of belonging in that group therapy. Um, so if that's what you're looking for, then that's definitely it. But if, if individual therapy, we go a bit deeper into looking at maybe your own thought processes, your own emotions, your own um, childhood trauma, for example, there's a different death in a group, in, in an individual session compared to the group. All right. Um, we'll go for a quick break now, Rosie, and continue sure. this discussion when we come back. I'm speaking today to Rosie Khaled, licensed and registered counsellor, about what to expect during therapy, just to give people an idea of, you know, what they might um, be asked or what they can talk about when they go in for their first or second or third mental health session. And this is for our new mini-series called My Mind and Me. We'll be right back on Health and Living, PFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. You're listening to our mini-series called My Mind and Me, which we hope to help you kickstart your mental health journey. So on our first episode, um, and you can look up that podcast on our website um, on bfm.my or our BFM app. So on our first episode, we took a look at how you can find a trusted and qualified mental health provider. So on today's show, we are taking that next step into understanding what happens during therapy. So joining me on the show today is Rosie Khalid, licensed and registered counsellor. So before the break, we were sort of talking about um, a bit about different types of methods of of therapy methods that um, counsellors, clinical psychologists might use during your sessions about how it's normal to feel intimidated, to feel nervous going in, right? Because it, it can be quite a big step that a lot of people are taking. Now, Rosie, I think a lot of people think that, oh, when you go into mental health therapy, all you do is talk about your emotions. Is that a, an accurate um, depiction of what happens? Not all the time, I guess, not just emotions. So if you're talking about CBT, then there's thoughts, behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. And if for me, when I do systems, when I do family, um, it's always about their relationships and dynamics. And of course, we talk about not just emotions, but things like what does that mean to you, right? Meanings attached to that event. Uh, what does it mean to lose your father, for example? Uh, to some people, it probably be that would mean losing my self-identity or losing a sense of security. So looking at meanings can also be powerful, not just emotions. Um, though emotions is my go-to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this again depends on the therapist. I, I love exploring emotions and working with emotions, um, but there are others who don't. And I think this is where in choosing like the therapies that you want, I think it's also good to know like what kinds of techniques approach that they do and see where you're, what or what you're comfortable with. Mm. So what should someone expect 
coming out of their very first session? You know, is it sort of, you mentioned earlier that the first session is usually um, the, the therapist gathering information about the client, right? But is it sort of going to immediately solve some, if not all of an individual's problems? Not at all. You can go to like 10, 20 sessions and you're still like, okay, how do I solve this? <laughs> <laughs> um, so coming for um, therapy for me, it isn't so much about finding solutions. It isn't about therapies giving you that solution. I think solutions need to come from the clients themselves. Yeah. So what can you expect, right? And I think for some clients, it's their first time talking about it or even cry. Mm-hmm. You know, there are clients who like, I've never cried before and this is my first time. So sometimes it feels like there's a sense of relief. You know, you're unburdening these issues just by talking about it. Um, sometimes um, you leave the session and you're just like, what just happened? <laughs> um, and sometimes, um, of course, we also talk about goals and, you know, what you can expect in the next few sessions. Mm. Mm. So then, you know, would following sessions after that be about helping clients sort of set goals then, like you mentioned, and sort of figuring out what they want or what, what they want out of seeing someone like you? Correct. And and bear in mind that goals do change in therapy sometimes. Mm-hmm. So there are clients who probably come in because they have fear of public speaking, right? That's their goal. And then after the next couple of sessions, they're like, okay, maybe it's not about that. Maybe it's about my self-worth. Maybe that's what I want to work towards. I want to work towards maybe developing um, self-love, for example. Yeah. Mm. And I know this answer might sort of differ from individual to individual. And you've mentioned that, you know, some people you might you might speak to a therapist, um, you might have 10 sessions and still not, um, you know, have resolved the problem that you came in for the first place. But usually is there sort of a time frame for how long someone might go to therapy for? Really depends on um, the individual, like how engaged they are in mm. the therapy as well. So there are people who like giving homeworks. Um, I I do give homeworks too because I think it helps them to reflect at their own time at their own pace you know and um, also I think it's about their self-awareness so their clients are really self-aware and it's very easy to work with that also issues talking about issues so if the issues are about something that's very internal very it's for example if it's about a negative self-perception right that probably takes longer because it's not something that can change overnight over the course of a month. Um, it's something that really needs a lot of work and time. Yeah. And I think another thing to think about also is that sometimes clients may not be ready to change uh, for a change. They're not ready for any kinds of change. Um, so that readiness to change also plays another role in how long or how short um, the therapy sessions will be Hmm. and what about I guess how often therapy sessions might be or perhaps should be Mm, I don't think there's like a should be Mm -hmm. Um, there are clients who see me either on a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis or a monthly basis and this also depends not only on the issues that we're talking about but also on the financial 
capacity that they have, right? Because not everybody can can come in and see you on a weekly or the bi-weekly basis. So in that case, I usually would prescribe some kind of homework or reflection for them to do um, just to get the ball rolling. And, you know, from one month to another month, it's quite a long gap and you don't want to, you know, lose that momentum. Mm. Are there any sort of don'ts, you know, that you tell clients that that for someone going into therapy, especially I guess for people who are more reserved, right, who are less willing to share, are there any sort of don'ts um, that, you know, things that they shouldn't do in therapy? Mm, I think there's anything, right? I think it's probably don't feel obligated <laughs> to talk about things, mm-hmm. right? Don't feel like you're don't feel like you you have to do that. You don't have to do that. Um, you know, probably don't try to have a relationship with your therapist too, <laughs> because it's you know sometimes in therapy and we as therapists we're very mindful of this that we're providing uh, clients a certain kind of acceptance and care. I mean, for the lack of better word lah, care in a sense that you know um, we're providing that space. Mm-hmm. That safe space for them to be heard and understood in a very non-judgmental um, way. So clients, it probably will be the first time, right, experiencing something like that. And then sometimes they're like, oh, I really like my therapist. And I think that's that's the only don't. Other than that, I think um I think I think there's not much don'ts. I think just don't feel obligated. Just feel that I think the more important thing is being able to be yourself. Mm-hmm. All right. And speaking of being ourselves, um, you know, I want to talk about feeling comfortable with your therapist as well, because that's another huge part about going for therapy, right? And I guess in a sense that that sense of obligation, because some people might think, oh, if I've gone, if I've chosen a therapist, I've made an appointment, I have to stick to that person. Is that the right way to do it? You don't necessarily need to stick to only one person, right? Um, there's always option for you to explore. But I think there are two options here. If you choose to stay, then probably address um, things that you're not comfortable with. If you choose to maybe be or find another therapist, um, I think one question that you probably want to ask yourself is, am I uncomfortable with my therapist? because um, I don't like the way she challenges my beliefs because that happens in therapy, right? That mm-hmm. therapies will challenge your beliefs or your thought processes and try and see, you know, why do you feel that you're not good enough, for example. And a lot of times, sometimes conversations can be quite uncomfortable, right? Um, and sometimes maybe you don't like your therapist and you don't know why. Um, and sometimes this is what we call maybe there's maybe there's a form of transference. Transference means um, you're projecting whatever you feel um, of someone else onto your therapist. Um, and that can be very powerful to process in a session with your therapist. So what are sort of, I guess, some questions that I can ask myself, right? To reflect, to, to sort of figure out if it's, is it because mm. of, um, you know the the, the things that I'm ma- are being made to, to re- think about during therapy that makes me feel uncomfortable or is it that the therapist or the mode of therapy just doesn't work for me how do I reflect on something like that 
Yeah. So I think, yes, yeah, some things can be quite uncomfortable in therapy, especially talking about childhood trauma and all that. More importantly, the therapists need to be very respectful and sensitive. So although you're exploring something that's very painful, whether it's an abuse, whether it's a trauma, you should still feel safe being vulnerable. You should feel that you're not obligated or forced to talk about it and feel threatened Mm -hmm. feel that you know this isn't something that you want to do but but there's something about it that makes you feel like you have to right um so yes you will feel uncomfortable you know some parts of therapy is uncomfortable but you still need to feel safe understood heard you know there has to be some kind of connection that you feel between you and the therapies feel that you're not being judged so that you can be vulnerable and be your truest self. Yeah, and I think that's more important than any kinds of techniques that the therapies um, does because rapport again and again proves to be the number one factor mm-hmm. of, um, you know, whether the therapy is successful or not. Mm-hmm. And, and that rapport takes at least a few sessions to build up, right? depends sometimes you know in the first session you already feel like yeah this is it I feel it (laughs) again so everything and everything you know I guess a lot of what we've spoken about Rosie it all goes back to Mm -hmm. that particular individual right no one no one experiences therapy Mm -hmm. the same necessarily in the exact same way it depends on the individual and the therapist because Mm -hmm. again it's a relationship there's a connection between two people right and and sometimes you feel that you have that connection and sometimes you don't. Mm. For, for people who are really struggling, right? Is it fair? It should They shouldn't think that it's a failure on them if you know they've tried a few sessions of therapy and it hasn't worked yet. It might just take time or maybe it's just not the right way for them. Right? Yes, yeah, so it's entirely not their fault. But if you keep changing therapies for maybe a 10 times over the span of two months, for example. Mm -hmm. So I'm a bit exaggerating with the the frequency there. Uh, But if that is the case, then you have to sit down and ask yourself, what's going on here? What am I avoiding? What am I afraid of? Why do I keep changing therapies? What is it that I'm not dealing with? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. And would you have a final takeaway message for our listeners about um, what we've been talking today about the about what to expect um, going into therapy, especially for the first time? I think that um, therapy is like a journey, right? And again, I have to say again and again, it's a relationship that you have, connection that you have with your therapist. And therapy is like a journey that, for me at least, it's a journey that I'm going with with my clients to uncharted territories together, right, side by side. Um, and I think it's very important that while for me as a therapist that I try to create awareness or to create higher self-awareness for my clients to, to you know, move towards their goals, um, they are still the captain of the ship. They are still the captain of the ship and I'm like the engineer lah. <laughs> you know, I probably go to the captain and say, I think you probably might want to look at this little button here that keeps blinking, right? What do you think that might be about? Uh, so that's my role as the, the engineer in this ship. But ultimately, as clients, um, they know best. They know what's going on best. And they should feel that way in the session. Too. They should not feel like the, the, the counsellors have the upper hand and that they know better. Right. So if you feel that way, then I'm not sure if um, that would be 
um, a good thing. Um, and, and maybe that's something that they can discuss with the therapist about. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rosie. No worries. I've been speaking to Rosie Khaled, licensed and registered counsellor, about what to expect during therapy for our mini-series called My Mind and Me, which, which explores how we can start our mental health journey. So if you missed any part of today's show or any of the episodes, you can look up our podcasts on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suan and this has been Health and Living BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.